Chapters fifty and fifty one of Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fifty The Flower Fadeth. It was some days after Arthur's return before the household settled down into anything like order and quiet, for Arthur was so restless and so happy, and so anxious for every one to recognize Jerry as his daughter miss tracy he called her when presenting her to the people who had known her all her life the st clairs and the athertons the crosbys and warners who came to call upon and congratulate him even peterkin came with a card as big as the back of webster's spelling-book and himself gotten up in a dress-coat with lavender kids on his burly hands which nearly crushed arthur's as he expressed himself tickled her than he ever was before in his life and to think i was the means on he said or if i hadn't of kicked that darned old table into slivers when i was given aunt to jerry she'd never have knowed what was in that dumbed rat hole i was a little too obstropolous i s'pose but i'll be darned if she didn't square up to me like a catamount till my hair riz right up and i concluded the tramp house was no place for me but i respect her for it yes i do and by george old chap i congratulate you with my whole soul and so does may jane and so does ann lizzie and so does bill and so does the whole caboodle on us this was peterkin's speech which arthur received more graciously than jerry who remembering harold could not be very polite to the man who had injured him so deeply as if divining her thoughts peterkin turned to her and said now one word miss tracy about hell i ain't one to go halves in anything and i was meaner to him than pusley but you'll see what i'll do i've met with a change i swore i have and he laid his lavender kid on his stomach he never took them diamonds nor may jane spin nor nothin and i've blasted it all over town that he didn't and i've got a carriage hired and some chaps and a brass band and a procession and when hal comes there's to be an oblation to the depot with the bugle a-playin hail to the chief and them hired chaps a-hissin him inter the carriage with the star-spangled banner a-floatin over it and a-drawin him home without horses what do you think of that for high and he chuckled merrily as he repeated the programme he had prepared for harold's reception jerry shuddered mentally hoping that harold's coming might be at night and unheralded so as to save him from what she knew would fill him with disgust that call of peterkin's was the last of a congratulatory nature made at tracy park for weeks for the shadow of death had entered the grand old house the doors and windows of which stood wide open one lovely september morning about a week after arthur's return but there was no stir or sign of life except in the upper hall near the door and in the room where maud tracy was dying jerry had been with her constantly for two or three days and the conversation the two held together would never be forgotten maud was very peaceful and happy and sure of the home beyond where she was going and very lovely and sweet to those around her thinking of everything and planning everything even whose hands were to lower her into the grave dick and fred and billy and harold she said to jerry one day something tells me harold will be here in time for that and if he is i want those four to put me in the grave they can lift me for i shall not be very heavy and with a smile she held up her wasted arms and hands not as large now as a child's and jerry she went on i want the grave lined with boughs from our old playing-place the four pines you know and many flowers for i shudder at the thought of the cold earth which would chill me in my coffin so heap the grave with flowers and come often to it and think lovingly of me lying there alone 
i am thinking so much of that poem harold read to me long ago of poor little alice the may-queen who said she should hear them as they passed with their feet above her in the long and silent grass maybe the dead can't do that i don't know but if they can i shall listen for you and be glad when you are near me and i know i shall wait on the golden seat by the river remember your promise to tell harold that it was all a mistake my mind gets clearer toward the end and i see things differently from what i did once and i know how i blundered you will tell him again jerry made the promise with a sinking heart not knowing to what it bound her and as maud was becoming tired she bade her to try to rest while she sat by and watched her the next day at the same hour when the balmy september air was everywhere and the mid-afternoon sun was filling the house with golden light and the cricket's chirp was heard in the long grass and the robins were singing in the tree-tops another scene was presented in the sick room where frank tracy knelt at his dying daughter's side with his face bowed in his hands while her fingers played feebly with his white hair as she spoke to arthur who had just come in they had told him she was dying and had asked for him and with his nervous horror of everything painful and exciting he had shrunk from the ordeal but jerry's will prevailed and he went with her to the room where frank and his wife and tom were waiting tom standing with folded arms at the foot of the bed and looking with hot dry eyes into the face on the pillow where death was setting his seal the mother half fainting upon the lounge with the nurse beside her and frank oblivious of everything except the fact that maud was dying kiss me good-bye uncle arthur she said when he came in and come this side where father is then as he went round and stood by frank she reached her hand for his and putting it on her father's head said to him forgive him uncle arthur he is so sorry poor father the dearest the best man in the world it was for me say that you forgive him only frank and one other knew just what she meant although a sudden suspicion darted through jerry's mind and when arthur looked helplessly at her she whispered to him never mind what she means her mind may be wandering but say that you forgive him no matter what it is thus adjured arthur said to the grief-stricken man who shook like an aspen i know of nothing to forgive except your old disbelief in gretchen and deceiving me about sending the carriage the night jerry came but if there is anything else no matter what it is i do forgive you freely thanks came faintly from maud who whispered remember it is a vow made at my deathbed. she had done all she could this little girl whose life had been so short and who as she once said had been capable of nothing but loving and being loved and now turning her dim eyes upon jerry she went on remember the promise and the flowers and the golden seat where you will find me resting by the river whose shores i am now looking upon for i am almost there almost to the golden seat and the tree whose leaves are like emeralds and where the grass and flowers are like the flowers and grass of summer just after a rain i am glad for you jerry good-bye and you dear father good-bye that was the last for maud was dead and the servants who had been standing about the door stole noiselessly back to their work with wet eyes and a sense of pain and loss in their hearts for not one of them but had loved the gentle girl now gone for ever from their midst it was jerry who led frank from the room to his own where she left him by himself knowing it would be better so and it was arthur who took dolly out for tom had disappeared and no one saw him again until the next day when he came down to breakfast with a worn haggard look upon his face which told that he did care though his mother thought he did not and taunted him with his indifference 
he had gone directly to his room and locked the door and smoked and smoked and thought and thought and then when it was dark he had stolen out into the park as far as the four pines and smoked and looked up at the stars and wondered if maud were there with jack sitting on the golden seat by the river then going back to the house when no one saw him he went into the room where maud was lying and looked long and earnestly upon her white still face and wondered in a vague kind of way if she knew he was there and why he had never thought before what a nice kind of girl she was and why he had not made more of her as her brother maud he whispered with a lump in his throat if you can hear me i'd like to tell you i am sorry that i was ever mean to you and i guess i did like you more than i supposed then he kissed her pale forehead and went to his room where he smoked the night through and in the morning felt as if he had lived a hundred years since the previous night and wondered how he should get through the day it occurred to him that it might be the proper thing to see his mother and after breakfast he went to her room and was received by her with a burst of tears and reproaches for his indifference and lack of feeling in keeping himself away from everybody as if it were nothing to him that maud was dead or that there was nothing for him to do thunderation mother tom exclaimed would you have me yell and scream and make a fool of myself i sat up all night long which was more than you did and i've been meditating in the woods and have seen maud and made it square with her what more can i do you can see to things mrs tracy replied your father is all broken up and has gone to bed and it is not becoming in me to be around somebody must take the helm and somebody has tom answered her uncle arthur is master of ceremonies now he is running the ranch and running it well too and tom was right for arthur had taken the helm and aided and abetted by jerry was quietly attending to matters and arranging for the funeral which dolly said must be in the house as she would not go to the church with a gaping crowd to stare at her so it was to take place at the house on friday afternoon and arthur ordered a costly coffin from new york and nearly a carload of flowers and floral designs for jerry had explained to him maud's wishes with regard to her grave which they lined first with the freshest of the boughs from the four pines filling these again with flowers up to the very top so that the grave when finished seemed like one mass of flowers in which it would not be hard to lie dolly had objected to billy as one of the pallbearers he was too short she said and not at all in harmony with dick and fred and paul crosby the young man who in harold's absence had been asked to take his place but arthur overruled her with the words it was maud's wish and billy kept his post the day arrived and the hour and the people came in greater crowds than they had done when poor jack was buried or the dark woman nanine with only jerry as chief mourner and the procession was the longest ever seen in shannondale and dolly even while her heart was aching with bitter pain felt a thrill of pride that so many were following her daughter to the grave arrived at the cemetery there was a halt for the mourners to alight and the bearers to take the coffin from the hearse a halt longer than necessary it seemed to jerry who did not see the young man making his way through the ranks of the people crowding the road and straining every nerve to reach the hearse which he did just as the bearers were taking the coffin from it with a quick movement he put paul crosby aside saying apologetically excuse me paul i must carry maud to her grave she wished it even then jerry did not see him or dream that he was there but when toward the close of the service she took a step or two forward to look into the grave before it was filled up and he put a hand upon her shoulder and said not too near jerry 
she started suddenly with a suppressed cry and turning saw him standing by her tall and erect and self-possessed as he faced the multitude some of whom had suspected him of crime but all of whom were ready now to do him justice and bid him welcome home oh harold jerry said as she grasped his arm i am so glad you are here i wish you had come before harold could not reply for they were now leaving the spot and many gathered around him first and foremost peterkin who came tramping through the grass puffing like an engine and unmindful of the time or place slapping him upon the shoulder as he said well my boy glad to see you back pon my soul i be but you flustrated all my plans i was meanin' to give you an oblation got it all arranged and you spiled it by takin' us on awares like a thief in the night i beg your pardon he continued as he met a curious look in harold's eyes i'm a blunderin cuss i be i didn't mean nothin i've never meant nothin and if i have i'm sorry for it harold did not hear the last for he was handing jerry into the carriage with her father who bade him enter too saying they would leave him at the cottage where he wished to go as soon as possible there was no time for much conversation before the cottage was reached and harold alighted at the gate and no allusion whatever was made to jerry's changed relations until harold stood looking at her as she kept her seat by her father and made no sign of an intention to stop then he said as calmly as he could do you stay at the park-house altogether now oh no she answered quickly i have been there a great deal with maud but i am coming home to-night i could not leave grandma alone you know she acknowledged the home and the relationship still and harold's face flushed with a look of pleasure which deepened in intensity when arthur with a wave of the hand habitual to him said i must keep her now that you are here to see the grandmother but will let you have her to-night come up later if you like and walk home with her i shall be most happy to do so harold said and then the carriage drove away while he went in to his grandmother who had not attended the funeral but who knew that he had returned and was waiting for him chapter fifty one under the pines with harold it seemed to harold that it had been a thousand years since he left shannondale so much had come into and so much had gone out of his life since he said good-bye to the girl he loved and to the girl who loved him one was dead and he had only come in time to help lay her in her grave while the other was some might think farther removed from him than death itself could have removed her but harold did not feel so he had faith in jerry that she would not change and when he read the judge's letter in the privacy of his room at the tacoma he rejoiced with an exceeding great joy that her home and birthright had been so strangely restored he never doubted the story for a moment but felt rather as if he had known it always and wondered how any one could have imagined for a moment that blue-eyed golden-haired jerry was the child of the dark coarse-looking woman found dead beside her i am so glad for jerry he said without a thought that her relations to himself would in any way be changed once when she had told him of the fancies which haunted her so often he had put them from him with a fear that were they true jerry would be lost to him for ever but he had no such misgivings now and when jerry's letter came urging his return both for her own sake and maud's he wrote a few hurried lines telling her how glad he was for her and of his intention to start for the east as soon as possible to-morrow perhaps he wrote in which case i may be there before this letter reaches you for the mails are sometimes slow and the judge's communication was overdue three or four days starting the second day after his letter harold travelled day and night while something seemed beckoning him on 
and when between st paul and chicago there came a detention from a freight car off the track he felt that he must fly so sure was he that he was wanted and anxiously looked for at tracy park where at that very time maud was dying the next afternoon he left chicago and with no further accident reached shannondale just as the long procession was winding its way to the cemetery he had heard from an acquaintance in springfield that maud was dead and of her request that he should be one of the pallbearers together with dick and fred and billy and i will do it yet he said with a throb of pain as he thought of the little girl who had died believing that he loved her once or twice he had resolved to write and tell her as carefully as possible of her mistake but as often had changed his mind thinking to wait until she was better and the chance for explanation gone for ever but he would if possible carry out the wish she had expressed with regard to himself striking into the fields from the station he reached the cemetery in time to take his place by billy and then he looked for jerry and felt an indefinable thrill when he saw her on her father's arm and began to realize that she was jerry tracy but all that was over now he had talked with her face to face and had found her the same jerry he had always known and he was going to see her in her own home at tracy park the daughter of the house the heiress of arthur tracy and of more than two millions it was said for despite frank's extravagance all of which arthur had met without a protest his money had accumulated rapidly so that he was a much richer man now than when he first came home from europe harold found the family at dinner mr and mrs tracy and tom in the dining-room and arthur and jerry in the gretchen room to which he was taken at once come in come in my boy you are just in time for dessert arthur said rising with alacrity and going forward to meet him while jerry too arose and took his hand and made him sit by her and questioned him of his journey and helped him to the fairest peach and the finest bunch of grapes and felt so proud of him and of her father too as they talked together and harold showed no sign of any inequality even if he felt it which he did not a fine young man with the best of manners and carries himself as if he were the lord high chancellor arthur said when after dinner harold left them to pay his respects to the other inmates of the family whom he found just leaving the dining-room dolly bowed to him coldly at first and was about to pass on when with a burst of tears she offered him her hand and said oh harold why didn't you come before maud wanted to see you so badly this was a great deal for dolly and tom stared at her in amazement while harold explained that he had come as soon as he possibly could and tried to say something of maud but could not for the tears which choked him frank was unfeignedly glad to see him and told him so our dear little girl was fond of you hal i am sure she was and i shall always like you for that heaven bless you my boy he said as he wrung harold's hand and then hurried away after his wife leaving harold alone with tom awfully afraid he should break down said indifferently glad to see you hal wish you had come before maud died she was in a tearin way to see you have a cigar got a prime lot in my room will you go there harold was in no mood for cigars and declining tom's offer sauntered a while around the grounds where he found himself constantly expecting to find the dead girl sitting under a tree waiting for him with the light whose meaning he now knew kindling in her beautiful eyes as she bade him welcome he was glad now that he had not written and told her of her mistake and he felt in his heart a greater tenderness for the maud dead than he ever could have felt for the maud living it was beginning to grow dark when he returned to the house where he found jerry in the hall ready to go home arthur was at her side with his arm thrown lovingly around her and as he passed her over to harold he said 
make the most of her to-night my boy for to-morrow she comes home to stay for a time harold and jerry walked on in silence but when they reached the four pines jerry halted suddenly and said let us sit down harold i have a message from maud which i promised to deliver the first time we were alone together after you came home jerry's voice trembled a little and after they were seated she was silent until harold said to her you were going to tell me of maud then she started and replied yes she wanted so much to see you and tell you herself i don't know what she meant but she said she had made a mistake and i must tell you so and that you would understand it she had been thinking and thinking she said and knew it was a stupid blunder of hers that was what she called it a stupid blunder and she was sorry for you that she had made it and bade me say so and tell you no one knew but herself and you dear little maud i wish she had not died jerry was crying and perhaps that was the reason she did not mind when harold put his arm around her and drew her so close to him that his brown hair touched her golden curls while the pines moaned and sighed above them for a moment and then grew still as if listening for what harold would say yes he began slowly i think i know what maud meant by the mistake did she say i must tell you what it was she said you would tell me but perhaps you'd better not jerry replied yes i must tell you he continued as a preliminary to what i have to say to you afterward and what i did not mean to say quite so soon but this decides me and he drew jerry closer to him as he went on did you ever think that i loved maud yes i have thought so was jerry's answer she thought so too harold continued and it was all my fault not hers she was so sweet and good and so interested in you and all i wanted to do for you that i regarded her as a very dear friend nothing more and because i looked upon her this way i foolishly went to her once to confess my love for another and ask if she thought i had a chance for success i must have bungled strangely for she mistook my meaning and thought i was speaking of herself and in a way she accepted me and before i had time to explain her mother came in and i have never seen her since that is what maud meant she saw the mistake and wished to rectify it by giving me the chance to tell you myself what i wanted to tell you then and dared not jerry trembled violently but made no answer and harold went on it may seem strange that i who used to be so much afraid of jerry crawford that i dared not tell her of my love have the courage to do it now that she is jerry tracy and i do not understand it myself once when you told me your fancies concerning your birth a great fear took possession of me lest i should lose you if they were true but when i heard that they were true i felt so sure of you that i could scarcely wait for the time when i could ask you as i now do to be my wife poor as i am with nothing but love to give you will you jerry his face was so close to hers now that her hot cheeks touched his but she made no reply for a moment and then she said oh harold it seems so soon with maud only buried to-day what shall i say what ought i to say shall i tell you he answered say the first english word you ever spoke and which i taught you do you remember it s came involuntarily from jerry in the quick lisping accent of her babyhood when that was all the english she could master and almost before it had escaped her harold smothered it with the kisses he pressed upon her lips as he claimed her for his own but harold she tried to explain between his kisses i meant that i did remember you must not you must not kiss me so fast you take my breath away 
there i won't stand it any longer i'm going straight home to tell grandma how you act and so am i harold said rising as she did but keeping his arm around her as they went slowly along in the soft september night with the stars which were shining for the first time on maud's grave looking down upon them and a thought of maud in their hearts and her dear name often upon their lips as they talked of the past trying to recall just when it was that friendship ceased and love began and deciding finally that neither knew nor cared when it was so great was their present joy and anticipation of the future End of chapters 50 and 51